Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi, Imi Barno, and I am your host. Today, I got to sit down for a chat with Nigel McBride. Nigel is from Australia, and he grew up along the shores of the Pacific Ocean between Sydney and Queensland. Um, he was invited to join the elite surfers of the Snapper Rocks board riders at the age of 12. But fate had another path for him, leading him through the military and out the other end as a fierce entrepreneur in the automotive industry. He's founded and managed successful companies, but you could say that today, Nigel has returned to his passion for the ocean and created a high-tech range of watercraft such as SUPS, Foils and the Hydrero, a sort of Hobie cat that invites you to go faster, go further, as he would put it. In our conversation, we go through Nigel's childhood at the Snapper Rocks board riders, enrolling into the Australian Defence Force and climbing the military ladder. After serving 10 years, jumping off out of aircraft, leading platoons and being nominated as an officer, he eventually moved into the civil world. His passion for cars led him down the automotive path. In fact, among others, you may recognise Nigel's company, righttodrive.com.au, an accident replacement vehicle business that proposes car accident victims a replacement vehicle. There's a bit of technicality there, but um, when you're not at fault, you're actually you're entitled to a replacement car for free. Anyway, Nigel has been working on Wave Chaser for many years now, and he has finally gone past the development stage and is running production. His high-end carbon fibre products are now on the market for everybody to try out and purchase. I'll let Nigel introduce them to you. In the show notes, you'll be able to see some of the t- his team riders enjoying flying above the sea in the products he's developed. In this conversation, you will also discover the benefits of having a military training when you want to start a business. In fact, what transpires from my encounter with Nigel is the importance of leadership. He is constantly focusing on his team's talent, and and I think this is key when running a business. So without further ado, please welcome Nigel McBride. Hello, Nigel, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? Hi, Imogen. I'm fine, thank you, and it's a pleasure to talk with you and your listeners. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and it's a pleasure to have you on the on the show. Um, maybe before we start, you could um, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, so, I was born in Sydney in 1970. I won't give you the full life story, but uh, this leads into where I'm at right now. Uh, my father managed hotels, and one of those hotels was right on the beach at Cronulla. It was called Northeast Hotel. So, I lived in that hotel at the age of six. And there happened to be a couple of spare surfboards in the hotel. It's right across the uh, road from the beach, more or less. And so my brother and I would take these surfboards out and, and, and teach ourselves how to surf uh, uh, at North Cronulla Beach. And I can remember fondly, mum used to stand on the second balcony and, and, and sort of uh, wave a towel in the air. And, you know, that was uh, our calling to come home for dinner. So we'd be in there, you know, after school uh, till dark basically, and uh, day in, day out. And uh, so we taught ourselves how to surf at Cronulla. Um, you know, from there, uh, we moved uh, up to the Gold Coast, or Tweed Heads, I should say. And um, uh, when you go uh, to live in a place like Tweed Heads, you get to experience some of the best surf in the world. And at that time, it was, you know, Jaramba, Snapper Rocks, Kira. Um, but starting out at the age of 12, you surfed a place like uh, Greenmount, and that was a very good place to learn how to surf. And so I, uh, I grew up sort of surfing around there, and uh, it was beautiful, it was wonderful, and, um, and uh, had uh, the very fortunate experience. We had a great bus driver who drove past the beach uh, on the way to school, and every now and again, we'd hop off with our surfboards. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, There'd be no, none of my school teachers would be listening right now, so that was some time ago. I'm pretty proud to say that pretty much every Friday we would be at the beach if there was on. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so so we had, uh, you know, this amazing uh, life growing up there, and um, at the age of 12, uh, we'll meet a good friend, uh, Stephen Byer. Uh, we were noticed surfing by um, one of the... Um, uh, 
a very good surfer in the area by the name of Sean Riley, and he came up to us and he said, guys, would you like to come to a surfboard club meeting uh, next Monday night? You know, and this is uh, Snapper Rocks Board Riders. It's a very famous club in Australia and holds many Australian, you know, um, uh, world championship, well, uh, sorry, Australian championship uh, uh, records and, and trophies, I should say, and has also uh, produced uh, uh, quite a few world champions, Rabbit Bartholomew, um, Joel Parkinson, um, I think uh, Steph Gilmore. Right. So Snapper Rocks Board Riders Club at the age of 12, uh, we turned up at the, the club meeting on the Monday night and and it's all these legends of surfing, you know, in that room. And uh, and at the age of 12, I was nervous and, you know, they make you stand up on the table and yell out, snapper rules, you know. <laughs> uh, so you had to do that and it's like a bit of an intro to the club. And uh, anyway, so that was fantastic. So I grew up surfing around there. You know, when you're around these guys and all of that talent, you, you automatically have to become competitive just to get a wave. Um, but... <laughs> You know, for, 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 for the average surfer um, or the average club surfer uh, in, in Snapper Rocks Board Riders Club, uh, you were actually, you know, quite proficient or a, a champion if you actually won a heat, yeah. you know, because there's that much <laughs> talent around you. You go away feeling like at the top of the world just because you've won a heat. But in that heat could be, you know, a bunch of former and current and prospective world champions and, you know, well, Australian champions. So, but it was a great place to grow up. And you're you certainly, you're humbled by the, the, the level of talent that is there. But, you know, so we were very close to the surf culture um, in growing up. Uh, you know, I guess I was a little too close to it because mm-hmm. mum decided to take me to the military recruitment office when I was 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my God. So <laughs> I, I'd never been, to, I'd never knew what the army was about, or the military was about, and I uh, got to talking with the recruitment officer there, and yeah, he just said, uh, "Well, you know, you, you've got a bright future if you want to join the, the the army, and there's so many things you can do. You know, you can, um, you know, it's not just all about you know shooting rifles. It's it's about you know um, team building exercises. You know, it's about camaraderie. It's about mateship. If you get to travel." <laughs> And so he sold me this fantastic story on the military. <laughs> so you that's know, on, on the Australian I, Defence Force. Which, which? I was, I was a rifleman. I joined as a, 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 a as a, a, a general entry soldier, you might wow. say, okay. at the age of eighteen. Wow. Uh, I went to uh, uh, one one recruit training battalion at Kapuka. It's in the middle of nowhere, basically, you know, Wagga, <laughs> um, and. And it was a bit of an eye-opener, you know. So this was, you know, about two months after mum had taken me to the recruitment office. So this thing was a whirlwind experience. Uh, never knew anything about the, the military. Found myself on a bus at uh, Kapuka at, at um, you know, about 8 o'clock at night. And the sergeant, you know, got on the bus and, and, and basically swore on us swore at us and said, uh, forget your fucking father, I'm your father now, now get off the fucking bus. <gasps> right, so that was what it was like. Okay, all right, okay, here we go. Uh, it's on. Uh, and then basically, uh, really, you know, it was an intensive, uh, you know, uh, course, uh, you know, but uh, enjoyable at the same time as hard. Uh, got a lot out of that and um, very grateful that I've actually done it. And I, I, I thank my mum for, for, for taking me there because, um, you know, you, you join and basically you get a three-year enlistment time frame, okay? In that time, you get to... Uh, do uh, whatever it is that you go to to do, and it, they, uh, you know, give you a, a bit of guidance on, you know, what division you would like to go to. Um, but a lot of us never really had a choice, and they said, "McBride, you're going to infantry, <gasps> right?" That was it. So yeah, but that turned out to be a very good thing for me because I got some really good mates out of that. We all went to this another shell shock place called Singleton, which is the uh, um, infantry training centre. Um, and there you learn the skills of being, you know, an Australian infantry army soldier. Right. And so, and then, you know, and that was in another another intensive course. And then in there, I had a mate that said, Nigel, uh, we're going to go to the third battalion, Royal Australian Parachute. If you're up for it, I looked up in the sky and I said, No way, mate. There's no way. There is no way. I I started packing, you know, shitting bricks uh, from the time that he told me. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, you know, another couple of months after that, uh, we find ourselves uh, uh, in the 3rd Battalion, Royal Australian Parachute. 
regiment, 3 RER they call it, and it was an infantry battalion, um, but we used to say that uh, we're a normal infantry soldier. We just arrived at the battlefield, on the battlefield, a little di- a little differently <laughs> than a normal soldier. Nothing elitist about it. <laughs> Scary as all hell. But, uh, you know, they used to say, what, you know, other soldiers used to say to us, you know, why would you bother jumping out of a perfectly good aircraft? And I can tell you that most of the time when you're in that aircraft, uh, you know, flying to a drop zone, could be in the middle of the night, you know, um, you know, or early morning drop somewhere interstate. That aircraft could be flying uh, tactical, uh, uh, tack flying they used to call it, and it's following the contours of the earth, uh, you know, into its drop zone so it stays under radar. And so, you know, you'd be in the back there with 64 cammed up soldiers with, you know, ammunition and, and parachutes and, and whatnot and, you know, and guys, you know, feeling sick. Uh, <laughs> and and did you have to did you have to go on to war zones? I, I, the, the way I answer that is that we were always prepared to go. We we thought that you know we we would be quite well prepared. Um, I uh, thankfully um, you know at the time I would have uh, you know uh, really wanted to go as a matter of fact to, be, to, to believe it or not just to test you know all of that training that we'd been through because you're training for year after year and, 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 and not going to put that into any sort of real test. Not that you want to go out and, you know, and, and, and fire, you know, and join the, uh, the, the two-way firing range, they say. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, if it ever came to that, you would hope that you had the capacity and, and the ability to do it. Yeah. And there is a pretty, you know, quite a strong and proud tradition with the Australian Defence Force that our soldiers have always stood up um, and, and, and being capable um, at the time of need. Mm-hmm. And so we were hoping, you know, that well, we were preparing ourselves certainly for that. And, uh, and many of my uh, mates and cohort and, you know, colleagues and um, brothers um, have gone on to serve in places like East Timor, uh, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, uh, and they're still serving. Wow. And so, you know, I've... I've I, I'm always thankful uh, that I know those guys <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'm proud to know those guys because um, I know that they're capable mm-hmm. and I, it, it makes me feel safer that they're actually there. Um, you don't want conflict, okay? These days I'm, I'm, I'm conflict averse, uh, but um, I, it's good to know that we've got uh, you know, good, uh, talented people who are willing to sort of you know, take up arms and defend um, our country and defends other people's rights as well uh, around the globe. You know, you don't necessarily agree with every conflict, and not, nor do the soldiers. But when they're asked to do a job, they have to go and do that job. Yeah. And so, how did your how did your sort of um, childhood and athletic um, childhood actually to help you? That must have been an amazing advantage. Sure, it was. Um, I grew up uh, playing rugby league, as a matter of fact. So, so that was a huge benefit. You know, so you get that sort of rough and tumble, um, you know, uh, tackling and, you know, running and, you know, um, so you're kind of used to that. And that transferred quite well into the military because they play rugby yeah. in, in the army. And, uh, yeah, that's quite uh, – it was very helpful, actually. It, it, um, the, they used to say the rugby scholarship is what got me into the military college, Duntroon. <laughs> and uh, my commanding officer at the time, he said, Lance Corporal McBride. Uh, I was a Lance Corporal at that time. Uh, you know, into my office. Yes, sir. Okay, so you march in, you stand to attention, at ease. And he said, uh, I've been watching your performance. I'm going to give you two choices. I want you to progress from here and go elsewhere. I want, I'm giving you two choices. One of those choices is to train hard and try out for the Special Air Service Regiment or to try... Uh, out uh, for Duntroon, the Royal Military College, to become an officer. Wow. Don't give me your answer right now. Go away and think about it. And tomorrow morning at 0700, I want you back here on that carpet with your answer. So I had to go away and think about that. You know, I had a lot to think about. This is a whole future ahead of me, and I've been given this sort of opportunity to at least think about what could be more, you know, for me to do uh, in this military you know, in, in, in the Defence Force. And so went away, thought about it, actually made a call to mum and dad and said, you know, I've been given this, this, this choice. 
basically they left the decision up to me and they said whatever your heart tells you you know and your head tells you you know you go and do that and so I started to think gee you know the SAS might be pretty hard because <laughs> I knew I knew a few guys and I'd seen them train and, and and how hard they had to train to actually even just get on the course and you know um I knew how intense that was and I'm wondering I was wondering did I actually have that you know uh but I was thinking at the same time that I want to, you know, advance my leadership. I, an opportunity to become an officer also gives you an opportunity to go to the SAS later if you're actually good enough. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so so that became a, a bit of an obvious choice really in, uh, for me the next morning. I said I would like to, you know, become an officer, sir. Um, he said, right, um, this is the process. And um, at the at the time, I actually didn't even have an HSC. Uh, a higher school certificate. Uh, so I had to do that in the, the Army. That was another year course before I could e- get to Duntry in the military college. But uh, um, as it turns out, as fate would have it, the commander that I had at three at the 3rd Battalion, who was also a rugby union player at the time, uh, was also uh, my commander at uh, the uh, Royal Military College. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was, it's been great to serve under him, and him and I are still in contact. This is 25 years ago. Um, he's a great commander, and, uh, you know, there was, a, I guess, there's a bit of a nod and a wink to the uh, rugby union side of it as well. Um, I, we played down there. We had a great team. He was putting together a fantastic team, and they went on to win the local, um, you know, um, first division um, really? championship. Yeah, Cup, the Monaro Cup, they call it. And uh, we had a really good side. Um, again, uh, uh, learnt a lot down there. Uh, got a, a, a great deal of leadership experience in, in, in the military college. Um, their standards are very high. Um, their training is intense. You know, the effort that uh, the college itself goes to to produce its soldiers is um, right up there with, the you know, the West Points, the Sandhursts, yeah. you know. So it does produce really good leaders. Yeah. And it teaches you a lot about yourself. You know, so I learned a lot in the mill in, in, in Duntroon that I've carried through to today in, in, in business. Mm-hmm. And it has certainly helped open doors, you know, in business for me as well. There's no doubt about that. And then so from the military college, I went on to uh, be a platoon commander. So I had 42 soldiers with me, very good soldiers in there. And it was just fantastic to be able to, learn how to um, impart your leadership knowledge to a group of soldiers who don't respect you if you don't have any, if you don't command that respect. Um, And so, yeah, so you've got to be good at what you do. And so what would you say that, what did the Mm. army teach you the most, um, in fact, Mm. that you use today in terms of skills and and leadership? Mm. Uh, Well, firstly, it's routine. You know, it's getting up to do it, you know, (laughs) And, and motivating yourself just to do it, okay, that routine and getting yourself uh, uh, prepared, uh, knowing within yourself that you're pretty much capable of handling any, anything uh, uh, that is sort of uh, uh, rolls its way at you. You know, there's, um, you're not, you know, fighting a, a seen enemy as such, but if you know and understand what the external forces are that put pressure on your day-to-day, and you analyse those external, you know, whatever external pressures they are and try to categorise and, and put those things into perspective and prioritise your day, then you generally get through it. So what I normally do is have a bit of a, you know, either a mental list or a, a physical list of, you know, things that I just need to cover off for that day and just, you know, routinely go through them, you know, cover them off and, and, and tackle each challenge, I guess, uh, if there are challenges, uh, you know, from a... Um, uh, from a perspective of uh, analysing it a little, we have we, we used to have this uh, uh, way of delivering or assessing a situation um, and and then a, delivering a, a response or a, a, you know uh, to that situation to that given situation. I have used that um, you know uh, quite often throughout my career, but I guess it's knowing and, and understanding that I am capable, you know, and that's one thing that the uh, that Duntroon teaches you that no matter how hard it gets, you can get through it. You know, even, you know, if we're going to make you patrol all night, dig in, uh, patrol all day, you know, out in the field, you know, dig in all night. And then the next day you're going to be, you know, marching another 16 kilometres to another objective. And then after this is over, you know, you get back to barracks, clean your weapons, and then you've got an exam on the next day, you know. 
So everything is sort of stacked up and it, they put you under sort of this intense pressure that you should be able to handle in most cases in the civilian environment. So what military guys suffer though is that we expect everybody else to be <laughs> on the level and, uh, and, and we're frustrated by others who aren't up to speed and we try to get them up to speed. And so sometimes it's um, taking a step back, you know, and so one of the things I've learned later in life is to be able to sort of take a bit of a step back and go, okay, not everybody's on a military objective here and the aim is not to go out and, you know, capture something or, you know, destroy something or whatever. Um, let's just put things into perspective, okay, and prioritise, go through that daily routine and, you know, just understand what the goal is too at the end of the day and just work out uh, your methods and your strategy to achieve the aims of the given task whatever that might be that is mm. so interesting because for a, i guess for a business owner this kind of discipline and this uh, routine is so important mm. uh, i mean i I've, I've sort of had to go through it and when you're on your own as a business owner or a freelance or whatever it's even more difficult because you haven't got any kind of uh, points uh, to sort of um hang on to to cling on to so yeah what so would you be able to sort of do a short rundown of those those that method that you use yeah sure Okay, so um, from you know, in a, in a, in a, it, you're talking about the method for um, you know for attaining a goal or an objective or a day-to-day routine. Okay, so if um, let's just say, for example, sales. Um, my I guess you know military leadership enables you to be sort of um, fairly broad. Your skills are broad-based uh, when it comes to adapting to the civilian environment. So you've got to take sort of key aspects uh, of it, I guess, that make it work for you. Okay. So if you're looking at that, that sort of sales focus, it's basically knowing your product. Mm. So then from, you know, from where it comes from a military perspective, you always got to know your weaponry and then the capability of your enemy and how far his weapon can shoot you know, to hit you. And, um, and so that is understanding, I guess, the competitive strengths of your competitors out there. Um, so they, not maybe necessarily your enemy, but that's the analogy, right? So it's understanding your strength your product, your competitive strength, your competitor strength, their product. Try not to diminish or rubbish them, but then um, if you know and understand your uh, your strengths, what you're capable of doing, um, then it gives you confidence because then you can hopefully then match it up with what your customer needs. Um, and then um, it's not then enforcing that um, uh, product knowledge or product onto them. Um, but it is letting them know that you actually do know your product and the strengths of your product and you know and how that could work for them and you can explain how that works for them. And uh, if they can uh, then understand that, um, then that's fantastic. You've, uh, you, you've, you've won the client. Yeah. If you focus on the win, look, for, look for the win-win here, um, you know, then that's, that, that's fantastic. So what was really interesting um, was your path leading up to Wave Chaser. Uh, you've been working for the past 20 years in the automotive industry. You started in a, out in a supercar club and then worked in sales and car repair companies. And you worked for the Australian Automobile Club and were involved in the conception, the strategic planning and general management of Drive My Car Rentals, which is a peer-to-peer car rental company. And this led you to co-found righttodrive.com.au which is an award-winning accident replacement vehicle company and um, you managed to raise about 1.2 million dollars do you think you could tell us a bit more about it uh, this is the accident replacement vehicle provider called right to drive and so um, had a very good friend who was um, uh, introduced me to another uh, um, a few people who were his very good friends and uh, we they uh, he took this business idea and concept that I'd given him to those people and those people became interested in that and they said um, invite Nigel along and we'll have a sit down with him and, and we'll talk it through because we've got access to these investors over here who might be interested in in this model and they were um, and we made it look good and we hired you know um, a, a very good uh, um, and uh, charismatic uh, you know uh, uh, CEO who helped us um, you know, with our uh, presentation, and we presented that to this presentation on the model to a bunch of investors, raised $1.2 million, 
um, started the business with no cars, no offices. Um, so his wife's car and my car were the first two cars to go on hire. <laughs> uh, from that, you know, there was three of us, myself and um, uh, and, and a, a CEO and um, another gentleman who works with me now in Wave Chaser. Three of us started this business, you know, with the hands-on guys. There was there was a board and some directors in the background who, you know, didn't have the day-to-day operational um, headache that we had in starting the business. But we went around and introduced ourselves to some repairers. They really liked what we were doing. Um, we found, a, you know, a good insurer. Um, we found a good fleet provider. Um, we grew rapidly. Um, and, you know, we set down a model and we had this model that said we would grow at 10 vehicles per month. We outstripped that, grew at 20, grew at 30, grew at 40 vehicles per month within the first two years. And so the investors, really, they stopped worrying about their investment and uh, started thinking about, wow, how much can we make here? And so <laughs> so uh, in the first three years, uh, we were awarded um, uh, uh, became third on the fastest business, uh, 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 what we call it, was the uh, um, Australian uh, Financial Review, you know, um, fast startups. Wow. So we were the third, yeah, third fastest in 2015. And uh, we were uh, runner-up Telstra, uh, which is our phone company, um, business of the year um, in 2016. And then uh, in 2016, that same year, we were, we were bought by a large um, fleet provider wow. who was providing us with cars, yeah. And so um, we, for um, the start, that meant, you know, a, a bright future that, you know, because um, we've got this new big business that owns us and, you know, that's fantastic. And that means we can service more customers, make more customers happy, you know, which is fantastic, which is what you want to do because that's the reason you're there yeah. in the first place, right? <laughs> um, but... There was some big beneficiaries out of that, and that was um, the original shareholders that that backed us, um, you know, with their money. Um, and so we were able to, you know, um, reward them, you know, quite quite handsomely. And uh, so now that business uh, is a market leader in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, with, and now that company is, uh, is Australia wide, uh, with 35 branches, um, four branches in New Zealand. Um, with uh, uh, 4,000 cars. Wow. And they service around three and a half to 4,000 customers every month. So it's Australia's market-leading accident replacement vehicle providing wow. provider. Well done. And, and I, guess, I guess your military training and your discipline and your um, routines, that must have helped you enormously to sort of go through that growth. Absolutely. Of course, um, I pride myself on the fact that in the first a uh, few years from a branch perspective at least we didn't actually have to um, um, hire people through a recruitment company we didn't have to advertise for positions people actually came to us and they wanted to work for us and they were it was a network we were growing a network of people um, who loved what we were doing and wanted to be a part of our business and so I always had this list of people who I was interviewing, you know, pretty much for upcoming roles. And I would have to, you know, basically say, sorry, I haven't got anything for you right now, you know, but you're, you know, you're on the priority list. And when the job comes around, I'll give you a call, you know. Um, so thankfully, um, recruitment was really easy. Um, but it comes down to, uh, as a general manager at the time, you know, I, was, I became less involved in, I guess, you know, the day-to-day, um, you know, uh, operation of handing vehicles over to, you know, doing my best at trying to manage the, the, the people that we had. And, and they were our biggest asset, you know, and, and, and you want to look after the people as much as you possibly can. And sometimes, um, you know, the corporate interest doesn't necessarily align well with the, um, you know, the people interest. And uh, and so this business has had to go through some um, some tough times in, in terms of its... Um, what uh, uh, you know, some transformations and some some cost cutting, and things like that to to align itself with the corporate objective. You know, mm-hmm. That's the big business objective. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. So um, so what what did you love about these experiences in business, and and what did you bring with this experience into Wave Chaser today? Wave Chaser, um, I guess, was born out of my 
love of the ocean and, and I guess wanting to, you know, spend more time in it and on it. Um, but, you know, also I used to take my kids who are th at this stage, you know, um, you know, coming into, you know, be becoming teenagers and, you know, we'd always, um, you know, spend time at the beach together, you know, so I'd like to teach them how to sort of surf or, you know, body surf or swim or whatever. I just, you know, spend time at the beach, you know, and, and I got to imagining what, what would I like to do, you know, like with the kids on the water? And, 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 and I thought, okay, catamaran would be good. You know, we could go for a sail and we could do all these sorts of things. And then, I don't know, I've got this sort of inventive, I guess, um, uh, part of me that said, okay, what about we just do it differently and, and say, um, make our own and, you know, and, 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 and have it as two sailboards and, you know, with twin sails, and, you know. <laughs> and I reckon I could build that. You know, I, I, no. First of all, I, I started the research. There was nothing like that, right? Uh, there were boats that were like that, bigger boats, yeah. bigger yachts, with the, and, with the know, mast so the concept, and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So the concept is there, and it, it it exists. But I didn't know that until I started researching. But there was nothing in the size, you know, that that, that brought brought it back down to my scale. Um, and and uh, and so I got to thinking, okay. Imagine if I could build this, and and so I got you know started to conceptualise it, um, you know just in my own time. So it was a bit of a hobby, and uh, and uh, uh, put um, you know um, a, a call out on Freelancer for a guy to you know do some uh, renders for me, and uh, and there was a guy there, Jesse um, Keith um, replied and said I can do this you know for you. As a matter of fact, and this this was in 2012 and. And I was just on the phone to him, you know, Skyping today, and, and he's going to do some board renders for us. So he's still out there doing mm. this great stuff. Yeah. So he created these fantastic renders, and, and, and so I've got these really good, you know, um, models now that I can take to somebody and say, build that. And then, you know, four years later, four prototypes later, you know, like I really kind of wasn't getting the performance out of it that I was expecting. So I had to sort of step it up a little and, and, and contacted a company called Carbonics and, and they really helped me with, uh, you know, some, some, some uh, you know, well, their, their chief designer, you know, worked on um, the America's Cup teams. Right, right. So just to recap, uh, so your, the boards that you create can actually um, <laughs> change from being a stand-up paddleboard to a kind of cat catamaran uh, with yeah. two sails or a windsurf. Yeah, and so originally that was that was a windsurfer, and mm -hmm. and and over time, it, you know, it worked out that the windsurfer um, hull shape wasn't fantastic for for sailing at a catamaran as a catamaran because you get this leeward pressure and it tends to want to you know bow in or nosedive, you know, on that leeward. Um, great for um, you know for light wind stable you know tracking um, around on a flat surface. Um, but when you're going through chop or if, you you know, the wind pressure gets up, you know, it wants to put some pressure on that leeward side. Great to have the sail, the twin sails, because the pressure's down lower um, yeah. than normal. If we had this one big mast up in the middle, we would have been, you know, tipping over, you know, because it's got a, you know, a, a low tipping moment, they call it, and it just wants to, you know, fly on one hull all the time. The benefit of having the twin rigs was that the power's down low and you can, you know, um, get more power and go faster and be more stable. But the windsurfer hull shape was not ideal. Um, so started to research that, you know, and over a period of time, you know, looked at what they were doing in downwind sup, um, sup riding. So ocean-going sup riding, you know, um, you know, Hawaii, it's been happening in Hawaii for a long time, the Molokai and, mm -hmm. and things like that. It's, you know, it's now quite a big sport in Australia too. And it turns out that the downwind um, sup hull shape is ideal for a catamaran. Mm -hmm. Of, 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 of our size yeah so um it's a a fast shape but the bulbous or you know a displacement bow allows it to you know to slice through chop and to also uh, handle a bit of uh, um uh, you know uh, i guess uh, pressure on its side or you know when it wants to rise up onto its um you know, on, onto the side of the, onto its rail, you might say, with pressure. So it makes a great hull shape mm -hmm. and it's got the right volume, uh, you know, for, for our for our current design sub catamaran. 
So, and you can also double up the, uh, the, um, the, the, can you double up the, the, so it's called the Hydrero, is that, is that correct? That's, yes. that's the model. And it doubles up, you could put foils underneath or you can have it sort of, um, you've got all sorts of different options that you can put on it. So it's amazing. Right now, um, the standard um, option is to have at the front what we say is sea foils, and they're just a, a, like more of a traditional dagger board, you might say, um, or centerboard hull mm-hmm. um, that you would have for on a windsurfer, or you know, all small sailcraft generally have a keel, yeah. and that's what gives you pressure, so that you can, you know, you've got that sort of counter pressure, you know, uh, to sail pressure, uh, which gives you um, something to you know, get direction and speed from so our forward um c foils we call them they provide a little bit of lift okay but they won't lift you right up out of the water like a um um you know a modern uh, t foil or z shape foil or j shape foil that you might see in the america's cup or you know some of the other you know yeah they're quite common in 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 sailing these days so there's a real change um in 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 the air <laughs> you might say when it comes to sailing and foiling is the exciting new frontier mm-hmm. um it's it's getting better and better the materials are becoming better we know that the material strengths that are required we know the aerofoil shapes that are required to get us lift um so right now uh we are developing our own set of lifting foils um to make our craft foil so we're in the development stage of that uh, but um, in the coming months, uh, we hope to test and uh, and to fly for the first time on the uh, uh, Hydrero sub category. Really? So okay. So, yeah. but you could also get these foil um, fins to actually put on on a, just a basic craft, the um the, the basic sup. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so what we've learnt uh, from our um, our sup foiling and our prone surfboard foiling we've carried over into the sub catamaran foils. So they're not a traditional, um, you might say, uh, sailing type foil. Um, ours are probably uh, what we'd like to think, you know, would be a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, robust, uh, user-friendly for uh, for what we need. Um, you know, there's no uh, lifting ailerons and, and, and magic wands that you see in some of the classes of sailing. There's none of that. Um, these are a standard, you know, uh, solid, um, you know, foil that will hopefully <laughs> lift us and make us fly. Uh, and then the rest of the dynamics of flight are up to the sailor. Okay, okay. Well, uh, is... Which is exactly the same as surfing or subbing, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's all up to the sailor or the surfer or the supper to, to fly. And that's what we want to carry over into sailing. Um, well, look, um, you know, there, there are examples of that as well. I mean, um, you know, uh, windsurfer um, uh, uh, kiteboarding um, has been around for, for for some time now, and you know there are very proficient um, riders out there riding, you know, amazing advanced, you know, uh, carbon and aluminium, you know, foils, and doing amazing aerial tricks on them and things like that, and, and having the time of their lives because there is absolutely nothing like the magic carpet ride that you get from a foil if you when you compare it to a traditional sup or or, or sailboard the, the difference is vast really really so what do you like, feel like yeah well, well a good a good snowboarder or skier would know the you know that sensation of um i guess well they you know going down a um an unridden you know powdered slope um you know it's that sensation of flight um without i guess restriction or chatter or bump that you would normally get from surface chop so you're riding up above the surface and your wing is under the surface so you get um there's no uh friction that you would experience from the surface tension uh or bumps or chops or bump you know uh, the ride that you would get from a rough surface yeah Uh, yeah. and how fast can you go for example on the on the catamaran have you have you recorded Yeah, sure. So, so right now, um, top speed um, in uh, from, from what we've uh, done and tested uh, is around eighteen knots. Okay, as a as a sub cat, um, but that's not with um, uh, our new sails. So we've got these new sails that we've just had made from hide, and they just arrived this week. So we we test those, and you know they'll hopefully give us the shape that we need in our sail. Uh, to go that little bit faster, get us over 20, 25 knots. 
and we think with foils, um, you know, our uh, uh, well-educated uh, estimates are telling us that we'll achieve speeds over 30 knots, wow. which is quite fast. <gasps> yeah, absolutely. And and what's yeah. amazing is that you've also developed around uh, Wave Chaser a whole kind of concept of um, almost sort of sharing and being able to rent it because it's quite bulky and it might be difficult for yeah. anybody to sort of um, cart around. So, um, de- so could you tell us a bit more about that? Okay, so um, what you what you want, um, I guess, as an emerging brand um, with a, a high tech product um, that's not all that cheap uh, and that's very new, you want to be able to try to educate the user as much as you possibly can. And um, the last thing I would want is for a customer to go away with this product and not be able to use it and not be able to get the most out of it and then it sits in a shed somewhere and gathers dust. I want the person who uses our product to know how to use it, know how to sell it and get the most out of it. So what we do is try to make that accessible to somebody and they can um, you know, uh, come to us and they can come and share that time on the water and I can instruct them one-on-one on how to use it um, or one of our staff can help with that as well. Um, and, and what's amazing is that you've sort of created an incredible development team as well around the whole sort of project. Um, that's right. And um, and actually also protecting the intellectual property. And yeah, that must have been an amazing experience as well, actually sort of putting yeah. all that together. Absolutely. Um, look, um, you know, for example, um, with the, uh, the foil board development, in, in, in six short months, we've been able to, you know, really drill down on, 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 on what it is that um, helps a board, you know, first of all, paddle in, um, take off successfully, fly successfully, then pump successfully, um, and, and maintain its integrity um, with all of the stresses that go on with um, it standing above a singular point of foil over water with a, you know, 80 kilogram guy on top of it trying to... <laughs> demand it to do things it was probably didn't want to do. And uh, so we've got the material strengths down. Um, we've got the manufacturing base, which is also important. And, you know, thankfully these days as well, uh, not only from a performance perspective um, and, and, and a technology advancement perspective, but they're all starting to look at the environment. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's um, all of the factories that, uh, that we deal with have to have um, – you know, they, they go through quite a rigorous, um, you know, um, environmental protection code. Yeah. And and so how do you, you know, sort of nitty gritty, how do you actually manage your time between R&D, mm. uh, business development, mm. Um, mm. actually trying out and prototyping and then um, um, customer service, I guess? How, how do you yeah. just sort of split up your time? That's a very good question. <laughs> now that you put it that way, I'm just wondering... Geez, how do I do all that? Uh, but it seems to be, you know, I, I guess day to day, doing what I do now with Wave Chaser, it doesn't, you know, I know it's a throwaway line, but it doesn't really feel like a job so much. Okay, I, I have such a passion to make sure that, you know, to, you know, to, to ensure that this brand succeeds and 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 that and that our our product works. Um, that I'm just mainly focused on, you know, um, I guess. Um, testing the product myself, designing the product, you know, with uh, other qualified people who help me out with that shaping process to come up with the shapes that we do come up with. And thankfully they're there, you know, been working with, the, um, you know, some, some very talented people in the industry who, who, who are there and very supportive. One, Armin is, you know, a, a, you know an IT and, um, you know, social marketing expert. And so he looks after a lot of that um, the online stuff for, and I've got another, um, um, business partner Dave, and he looks after a lot of our operations. So, he, you know, um, looks after the, you know, our, our warehousing and, you know, and, and 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 shipping and, you know, and making sure that um, the the boards are ready to go when we want to do a demonstration day and things like that. That's Danny, and he's, uh, um, you know, a, 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 a Hawaiian, but lives in uh, um, in China. Has been there for 15 years and established most of the factories over there for some of the biggest brands. And uh, still, you know, working day in, day out over there and, uh, in, in quality assurance for, for us at, uh, at, at Wave Chaser. Excellent. So, you know, with this team, okay, we all have our own set of responsibilities, but it's quite, 
you know that's that's a really really good way of actually organizing things and you're not burning out yeah. either so that's really important too um, and um, and so what's the what's the feedback from the users yeah um uh thankfully uh very good um <laughs> and i can say that proudly and honestly um the way i try to picture it and 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 position way chaser and and our product range is to have um a high performing product that hopefully um, an intermediate or novice writer could pick up and use with some level of training. Yeah, yeah. But what's great yeah. is that you've actually combined the sensations of, you know, foiling, um, surfing and sailing at the same time, which is really, really cool. It must it must be a great feeling yeah. when you're on the water. At the end of the day, and what works generally in a flat um, surfboard shape is, you know, um, the right uh, – what they say rocker or bottom curve you know and it's generally you know a single concave into a double you know concave out the back which will give you hydrodynamic hydrodynamic lift and speed so some of that is built into you know our sups uh, our stand-up paddles for surfing um, and the general shape uh, we know and understand will work for you know the intermediate to you know advanced even the beginner could jump on you know our sup and have a paddle around uh, whether or not he can jump on it and have a you know surf and do all of the cutbacks and maneuvers and things like that that the professionals can do, that takes experience, you yeah. know, and that takes time in the water and and practice. Yeah, I wondered if we had any time uh, today to talk about access. Well, sure. So basically, access is a kind of sharing platform for the equipment um, for um, users to sort of. Um, go away with the, the boards for a day or two or, or whatever and then give them back and um, a bit like the drive drive my car sort of system. Absolutely. So, you know, thanks to all of our experience in the rental market, um, you know, um, it really doesn't matter what the product is. You can, you know, if you've got that experience in um, pleasing a customer from a rental perspective, you know that it, it's the product um, is, um, you know, just the, uh, you know, what might attract them to want to use it. You know the transaction. Uh, we know uh, how to make that fairly seamless, mm. um, but we think that there's probably more to that as well. That um, um, uh, that the user might not necessarily be engaged with a particular brand of, of product, um, but um, you know if they want to experience you know how things work, they're just interested in the shape and the, you know the thing that that might help them. Um, with their experience that might be beyond anything that they've ever done before. And that is, um, um, you know, it, they might not need to necessarily go out and buy the most expensive thing straight up. They can try, you know, a brand that might be, a, you know, um, a, a, a more of a common shape. Um, let them get that experience. Let them, you know, feel the flow. <laughs> let them engage with it um, without having to outlay all of that expense. But then, yeah. you know... Maybe one day trying at least, um, you know, something that is near to that product and then, you know, going out and buying that product once they're satisfied with that piece of equipment. So it's that, you know, try before you buy scenario. Yeah, it's the whole, and it's the whole complexity of when you are creating a new product and developing a new product, you have to create user experiences before anybody will go and invest in it. And um, that's really yeah. important. Demonstration is key here. You know, over time, um, you know, you will see Wave Chaser in, you know, a, a number of, you know, bricks and mortar shop fronts around Australia and hopefully New Zealand and hopefully the world. That's really interesting. So, so it's, I guess mm -hmm. it's the Wave Chaser model is, is really a, a sort of a, a um, complete synthesis of basically what you've learned in military, what you learned in, in all the businesses that you've worked in up until now. And it's, it's a great sort of, um, it's a it's a great end product, and so so what what experience from from your previous jobs did you use the most for creating Wave Chaser? Yeah, okay, good, very good question. <laughs> um, the what I found myself doing when I was um, in in Right to Drive, um, I was either involved in sales or in operations uh, or in HR, human resources. Um, you know, I had to do basically it all there as well while we're in the building phase. So I would switch from, from a sales perspective to an operations perspective, you know, daily. So the carryover skill set 
into, I guess, Wave Chaser is being able to do that, you know, it's the operation management, sales management, and thankfully, you know, at the moment, there's not a lot of staff management, we manage ourselves. But in doing that, um, you know, in the time, um, sorry, in the, in the age and the era that we're in, in this online era, you know, you have to learn pretty quickly what are the um, requirements around, you know, your digital marketing, you know, to make it effective. And, you know, so, you know, you, you, you just build these skills over time just for the necessity of having to do it, yeah. you know. And, yeah, it's amazing. And, and what did you find challenging in the water sports industry that you didn't come across in the automotive industry? Uh, very good. Um, well, first and foremost, I've come in, uh, into this industry very late, okay? So it's well established. Um, the stand-up paddleboard market um, it went through a dramatic growth phase from about 2010 um, and to today. Globally, it's still growing at a rate of around about 15%, you know, year on year. You know, somewhere around the world. If you if you add the whole thing up together, it's around 15% year on year. Might not necessarily be in Australia right now. Where what we're finding right now is that, um, to be honest, there's probably a bit of an oversupply of of, of stand up paddle boards, but I look at that and I think there's an undersupply of quality. Mm. But the basics are, you know, a good quality shape that you know is going to perform well, made from the right materials, then there should be demand for that. Yeah. Um, you, if you look at that as a design principle um, and stick with it, then people will get to know that. And if they can engage with your brand, knowing that you've got some sort of, you know, um, I guess, um, understanding of how things should perform on the water and your team is you know, a qualified team and, you know, we are doing the research and we are writing these things and we are showing you how they work, you know, and we want to give you the chance to do that yourself before you buy, yeah. you know, hopefully engage with us. And that might be our point of difference over some of the other, you know, manufacturers who are told to, um, you know, design a new shape every six months, for example. So this is the this is the crucial question. How um how often do you actually get out on the on the water having having yeah. this job? Okay, um, so we've got a bit of an unwritten rule, you know. We yeah, it's twice a week. Okay, oh. we've got to get out there and have a paddle. <laughs> There's got to be a, a motivation and it's got to be a physical um, activity on the water, you know, twice a week. Brilliant. So Brilliant. unwritten rule. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I guess we're we're sort of arriving to the end of this interview. It's been a fascinating conversation and an amazing life oh. story. Um, I just sort of got a few last questions, which are, I ask most of my guests, um, which is to ask. I ask them to finish the sentence. So um, the first sentence is, "I love." Oh, I love uh, creating products that satisfy people. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, second one is I miss. Oh, I miss spending time at the beach with my kids. <laughs> um, I wish. Mm. Oh. <laughs> um, I wish there was less plastic in the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the last one is I want. I want Wave Chaser to be known as a quality surf paddleboard and sailing brand. Brilliant, lovely. So. This is the promo time. Um, how do we? How can we get hold of you and um, you know order a board or boards? Okay, uh, online at uh, wavechaser.com.au. You can find our complete range there. Uh, there's a phone number uh, at the top and an email address if you wanted to connect with us more directly and ask some questions. Okay, brilliant. And you have also social. So you were saying Facebook, um, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Sure. If you wanted to uh, see what other uh, users are experiencing uh, on our uh, on our equipment, then you can go to uh, Facebook, Wave Chaser, Go Faster, Go Further, and Instagram, Wave Chaser, Go Faster, Go Further. Great, brilliant. Well, this is this is great. I think we've sort of bo basically wrap, uh, wrapped everything up. H how are you feeling? 
I feel good. Um, uh, I think we've covered off a fair bit, and I hope I haven't bored you in any way. I mean, I've rattled on a few times. Um, but I hope I've got the message across mostly that um, that I'm not doing this just for me, for my experience, that, you know, Wave Chaser hopefully, um, you know, is a benefit to people who want to use our equipment. And the more I imagine that, this is probably one of the things I didn't get across, the more I go through it in my mind and visualise, um, you know, the benefit to users um, of the equipment, the more it materialises. Yeah. And then the benefit flows on to me. I mean, that's a very spiritual thing that um, that I learned uh, before starting Right to Drive when I was on the bones of my ass. I mean, <laughs> you know, if I imagined, you know, what a person felt like when I delivered the car to them, the more um, that um, I visualised that that in a clear sense, the more it became true, and and the more benefit was derived for the business, um, and uh, and the business, you know essentially became that you know the provider of accident replacement vehicles yeah. you know and you know if we can do that for wave chaser you know uh focus you know our attention on the user experience um try not to get too wrapped up in ourselves you know and, and the benefit to ourselves you know there are a lot of people who should benefit from wave chaser before i do and and those people are first and foremost the people who use it and buy it and who trust it enough to buy it <laughs> and do away with their hard earned, right? And then, you know, it's those people who um, supply to it or manufacture for it or who engage with it some other way, who rely on it for their income or whatever. And then it's to our staff, you know, and people. And then, you know, I'm the last. Yeah, but it's, it's a really good advice in, in any kind of business, um, in any mm. business model to actually sort of envisage what the user is going to feel um, Absolutely. at the end of the day. That's really nice. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's what crystallises at the end of the day. That's what manifests. You know, everything else manifests uh, on that vision, you know, because every thought and vision has a, a resonance in the universe, as, you know, if you want to be spiritual about it. I believe in that. Yeah, um, me too. And, and, in, and if I can visualise it, the more I visualise it and the more emphasis and focus that I put on that customer experience, the more it becomes true. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, I think that's a lovely way to conclude this conversation. And uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. And, um, it's been great to be with you. I think and yeah. you've been a good listener. <laughs> you've asked all the right questions. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you ever so much, Nigel, for being really a, such an eloquent and such a, a um, really interesting guest. And I, I wish you all the best with Wave Chaser. And um, we'll definitely have all the sh- all the references in the show notes um, to uh, what we've mentioned in the interview. And um, and uh, yeah, and so the listeners can find that in their podcasting app or on on the articles that are going to be out. Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Nigel. I really appreciate your interest and uh, hopefully you'll get to trial some of our equipment one day. Exactly. Yeah, with pleasure. (laughs) Okay. Take care, Nigel. See you. See you soon. Ciao. Bye-bye. Wow, that was a great conversation. I love the way Nigel has a technique to envision the end user experience and focus on, on that above anything else. I think it's really good advice for any business owner and sometimes you can get caught up in your thoughts or your stress and whatnot and forget the end user Um, and in fact I'm off to apply that to my business right now. To get more details on Wave Chaser you can visit their website wavechaser.com.au or visit their Facebook page or Instagram profile. All the links will be in the show notes on your podcast app or on the oceanriderspodcast.com. The Ocean Riders podcast is a weekly podcast, so if you like it, please subscribe. Every week, I'll be receiving a new guest who has an incredible story to share. If you fancy joining the conversation after the episode, you're welcome to. You can find our Facebook group called The Ocean Riders Community. And if you need to remember one website to access all the others, use my link tree to pave your way to your preferred social platform. The address is www.link.com tr.ee slash the ocean riders podcast if you'd like to share your story and be a guest on my show you can connect with me at hello at the ocean riders podcast.com or via my instagram account at the ocean riders podcast thank you for listening to this episode and thank you nigel for being such a great guest until next week take care have fun and enjoy the waves ciao